재미와 지식의 오디오라이프 팝빵 The novel provoked great controversy in the Muslim community for what some Muslims believed were blasphemous references. Rushdie was accused of misusing freedom of speech. As the controversy spread, the import of the book was banned in India and it was burned in demonstrations in the United Kingdom. In mid-February 1989, following a violent riot against the book in Pakistan, the Ayatollah Rulola Khomeini, then supreme leader of Iran and a Shia Muslim scholar, issued a fatwa calling on all Muslims to kill Rushdie and his publishers or to point him out to those who can kill him if they cannot themselves. Although the British Conservative government under Margaret Thatcher gave Rushdie round-the-clock police protection, many politicians on both sides were hostile to the author. British Labour MP Keith Vaz led a march through Leicester shortly after he was elected in 1989, calling for the book to be banned, while Conservative MP Norman Tebbit, the party's former chairman, called Rushdie an outstanding villain, whose public life has been a record of despicable acts of betrayal of his upbringing, religion, adopted home and nationality. With police protection, Rushdie escaped direct physical harm, but others associated with his book have suffered violent attacks. Hitoshi Agorishi, his Japanese translator, was stabbed to death on 11th July 1991. Ettore Capriola, the Italian translator, was seriously injured in a stabbing in Milan on 3rd of July 1991. William Nygaard, the publisher in Norway, was shot three times in an attempted assassination in Oslo in October 1993 but survived. Aziz Nassin, the Turkish translator, was possibly the intended target in the events that led to the Sivas massacre on the 2nd of July 1993 in Sivas, Turkey, which resulted in 37 deaths. In September 2012, Rushdie expressed doubt that the satanic verses would be published today because of a climate of fear and nervousness. In March 2016, PEN America reported that the bounty for the Rushdie Fatwa was raised by $600,000. Top Iranian media contributed this sum, adding to the existing $2.8 million already offered. In response to this, the Swedish Academy, which awards the Nobel Prize for Literature, denounced the death sentence and called it a serious violation of free speech. This was the first time they had commented on the issue since publication. That was David Tazard reading about a book by Salman Rushdie um, to the tune by Bubakar Traor. Death threats, David. Death threats to the author, Sir Salman Rushdie, and also violence and killings against people that have been associated with this book. Uh-huh. The poor translators. The poor translators. Uh, they didn't even come up with the book. All they did was translate, and they got murdered for it. Well, I'm very thankful that they did translate, because when this book that we're talking about today, The Satanic Verses, was released, um, obviously there was a lot of controversy. It came out in 1988, but mm-hmm. many American booksellers and that refused to sell it. Mm. And so, even though that these translators were the victims of these attacks, I think it's very important to remember them because they 
they fought for the free speech and, and they stuck to it rather than as some big multinational corporations and companies did, they refused to, to sell the book mm-hmm. through fear. And speaking of fear, I think um, the the part that resonated with me the most was was when um, Salman Rushdie said in September of 2012 that he doubts that the Satanic Verses, which is the book yes. of the of the week, yeah. uh, would be published today because of a climate of quote fear and nervousness. So fear and nervousness <laughs> is getting worse. It's getting worse. You say it's getting worse, Jamie. I wonder if it ever really changes. I mean, we do like to think of ourselves as existing on the on the cusp of some great dramatic events and things like that. But I think mm-hmm. every generation needs to have this challenge towards free speech and these mm-hmm. ideas. And I think it's very enlightening and interesting to see that way back in 1988, the same topics, the same things that we hold as very unique to our society today mm-hmm. were just as prominent. Mm. And so I, I think it's really important that we revisit them and have mm-hmm. a historical perspective, as it were. Right. And in a recent uh, SNL monologue, the mm. comedian Aziz Ansari uh, suggested that racism mm-hmm. did not actually go away. People were just pretending not to be racist. And all of a sudden, they have stopped pretending mm-hmm. not to be racist. And he's saying, you know, there's this lower, lowercase KKK movement okay. going on out there. And he says, you have to go back in the closet, you know, go back to pretending. Yeah. Right. Well, hopefully it's not just pretending that people do, you know, hopefully it, it's real that the, there isn't racism. But right. free speech is, is very important and um, we've covered a lot of different books on David's bookmark this mm-hmm. season. Mm-hmm. So I, I really thought it was the right time and the right climate to bring such a wonderful writer as Salman Rushdie and just to remind you again that opening guitar track from the guitarist Bubakar Traore it's wonderful music Mm -hmm. Mm. so this is a very scary title literally very scary (laughs) title the satanic verses yes so what is the book about wow um it's very difficult to sum up the book is about the lives of two characters the the book follows the lives of these uh Gabriel and Saladin. Okay. Uh, Gabriel Farishta and Saladin Chamcha, both Indian characters, both from a Muslim background. The book starts with this wonderful opening scene, and the two are in an airplane flying over the English Channel. We later find out in the book that the plane has been hijacked by four Sikh terrorists, mm-hmm. and it was. Uh, stopped in the desert for I think 111 days Okay. after being in the desert they, they flew on towards London but it was the plane was exploded in midair the book opens with Gabriel and Saladin falling through the air towards mm-hmm. the murky water below and as they fall they converse with each other they know each other and uh, they argue with each other okay because that is a perfectly reasonable time to be arguing with each other and conversing with each other i mean it's a very very dramatic imagery yeah. there's this exp- this plane that just exploded yep. and they're falling from the sky and they're like hey we have time to kill and they're arguing with each other about the way that they're falling um whether it's better to spread your arms out or to do a pencil thing <laughs> uh, the the bowler hat on Saladin's head remains attached no matter which way he does. And Saladin is a character that loves the English lifestyle. So his bowler hat remains on top, uh-huh. and I really like that. <laughs> They're falling from a plane uh, called Bostan, which is a Farsi word for 
garden. Okay, so we metaphor. Have, there's a, there's metaphor. a big metaphor. There's the uh-huh. metaphor bell ringing for us. Yeah, uh-huh. they're falling from it. Um, Gabriel is the star of the screen. He was a huge Bollywood actor. He was uh, adopted early in his life. He had a hard youth and he worked as a delivery boy, but he eventually became one of the biggest stars in Indian cinema. He uh-huh. would play the gods. He would play Ganesh and Hanuman okay. in, in these mm-hmm. things. Uh, right, right. And event- his, his name suggests that he is um, related to Gabriel. Yes, mm-hmm. the messenger right, from right. the religious uh, Christian and mm-hmm. Muslim tradition and Judaism as well. Yeah, so Gabriel is the angel. He's the angel, and mm-hmm. he plays against Saladin. Saladin is a voice actor. Mm-hmm. Saladin is a man that wants to become British. He's he's one thousand and one voices, none of them his own. He's okay. sort of abandoned his Indian heritage, and he's gone to London and adopted this lifestyle. He's married a white English woman, and uh-huh. you know he's really trying to change. And Saladin is the devil. Okay. So we have the angel, the archangel, and, and the devil falling from a plane at the beginning of this book. And mm-hmm. uh, you just said that uh, Saladin has one thousand and one voices, and none of these voices is his. So, like, yeah. does his voice constantly change in the book as they're <laughs> as they're talking to each other? His voice constantly changes. His appearance constantly changes. His appearance it, constantly. Changes? Like how? Um. I'm always in this dilemma of how much I should give away of the book. <laughs> okay. uh, how? No, no. I will tell you. He uh, okay. he, he eventually grows horns. Okay, but a, he's a always tail. wearing. Okay, but he has a he has the bowler hat. It stays on his head. It, it tries to. It okay. that eventually comes off, but okay. eventually he t- he turns into a large sort of smouldering, smoke infested goat that okay. becomes too large. He, okay. he becomes a physical embodiment of the devil. Okay. Okay. All right. So that's okay. That's, that's thank you. Thank comes. you for letting me know. <laughs> Well, I mean, but the weird thing is, when you read this book, Mm -hmm. the doctors that are treating him for this um, are not that surprised because they've seen it happen to other people. The the doctors were trying to treat him for this metamorphosis? Yes. Okay. And they've noticed it, that it happens to people that live in expat communities or that live outside of their home, their Mm. home country. Okay, so it's like a somatic symptom of internalized racism. You're trying to change yourself to be something else. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, it can speak in a lot of different ways. So Salman Rushdie um, is an Indian man of of Muslim heritage but grew up in England and uh, was educated at Cambridge. So he traverses both of these continents Mm -hmm. with great majesty Mm -hmm. and he understands them very well and so i think it's important to get his views on what it is like to sort of experience racism or be outsiders and such forth and that's Mm -hmm. that's really important the way he does that Mm -hmm. well let's look at an excerpt uh, from Mm -hmm. the book that deals with oddly enough the weather as we do in England, yeah. And I'd like to just point out the, the tone and style because of everything else that's said about this book. So Salman Rushdie is a genius in the way that he uses language and words, in my opinion. So let's get a, uh, a bit of Gabriel speaking. The trouble with the English was their, their, in a word, Gabriel solemnly pronounced, their weather. Gabriel Farishta, floating on his cloud, formed the opinion that the moral fuzziness of the English was meteorologically induced. 
When the day is not warmer than the night, he reasoned, when the light is not brighter than the dark, when the land is not drier than the sea, then clearly a people will lose the power to make distinctions and commence to see everything from political parties to sexual partners to religious beliefs as much the same. Nothing to choose, give or take. What folly! For truth is extreme. It is so and not thus. It is him and not her. A partisan matter, not a spectator sport. It is, in brief, heated. City, he cried, and his voice rolled over the metropolis like thunder. I am going to tropicalize you. Gabriel enumerated the benefits of the proposed metamorphosis of London into a tropical city. Increased moral definition, institution of a national siesta. Development of vivid and expansive patterns of behaviour among the populace. Higher quality popular music. New birds in the trees, macaws, peacocks, cockatoos. New trees under the birds, cocoa palms, taramind, banians with hanging beards. Improved street life. Outrageously coloured flowers, magenta, vermilion, neon green. Spider monkeys in the oaks. A new mass market for domestic air conditioning units, ceiling fans, anti-mosquito coils and sprays, a choir and copper industry, increased appeal of London as a centre for conferences, better cricketers, higher emphasis on ball control among professional footballers, the traditional and soulless English commitment to high work rate having been rendered obsolete by the heat. Religious fervour, political ferment, renewal of interest in the intelligentsia, no more British reserve, hot water bottles to be banished forever, replaced in the fetid nights by the making of slow and orderous love. Emergence of new social values, friends to commence dropping in on one another without making appointments, closure of old folks' homes, emphasis on the extended family, spicier foods, the use of water as well as paper in English toilets, the joy of running fully dressed through the first rains of the monsoon. Disadvantages, cholera, typhoid, legionnaire's disease, cockroaches, dust, noise, a culture of excess. Standing upon the horizon, spreading his arms to fill the sky, Gabriel cried, let it be. So I want to come back to the let it be part yeah. um, in a little bit, but um, I wanted to point out um, this part. The truth is extreme. It is so and not thus. It is him and not her. So he's mm. presenting this very um, sort of like he, as he says, um, partisan yeah. view of what truth is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have the two opposites of the characters and things like that, how they play so well against each other mm-hmm. in a world of enlightenment ideas and liberal understanding and acceptance and empathy the characters in this book play the hardline approaches sometimes Mm -hmm. gibriel especially which is incredibly interesting because he's the angel Mm -hmm. and he has this outward exterior he has a halo right He, he emanates aura and love and people respond to him but internally he seethes and he has vengeance where saladin opposite him as i described looks like a a satanic goat and yet inside his intentions are often benign and he often tries to do well and good for people mm-hmm. and yet is misunderstood mm-hmm. so it sounds like Rushdie is painting a very uh, complex picture of yeah. good and evil as opposed to just uh, a very uh, two-dimensional one it's not a zero-sum game in this it's, it's not really good versus evil but it's a lot mm-hmm. more complex and I, I think his language and his tone really describes that way you know mm-hmm. um I love the way he writes. It does take a little while to get used to. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very lyrical. 
I mean, even that part where he's uh, talking about new birds in the trees, macaws, peacocks, cockatoos, new yeah. trees, cocoa palms. Yeah. You know, they're the alliterations. Yeah, it's, yeah. It, it's really good. And then he finishes it off with a, a list of disadvantages. Mm-hmm. You know, they're sort of put forward in a very sort of formal or they're not expanded on in any way. He right. really mixes up his styles excellently. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And uh, let's talk about Let It Be. So yeah. I was a little bit puzzled when, when you got to the part where... Um, where you're describing, well, where Rushdie rather mm-hmm. is describing Gabriel say, saying, uh, "City, I am going to tropicalize you." Mm-hmm. Does he have superhuman powers? He does, and he doesn't. And sometimes the superhuman powers exist in his dreams because Gabriel is a schizophrenic, and he encounters oh, okay. these, you know, he encounters <laughs> these very vivid dreams that take him all around, backwards and forwards in time. And so sometimes he has powers, and other times he's just a meek man mm-hmm. and cowering in the city of London. So right. it varies, as as Rushdie's work always does. Mm-hmm. But that let it be. Um, as you read Rushdie, you realize the depth of his intelligence is not just related to a, a Cambridge education. Mm-hmm. However, it uses Beatles? In, the Beatles and the Doors and the Stones and even less classic, you know, references, literary references, pop music references. Mm-hmm. Every time you read something, you're wondering, what is he alluding to here Mm -hmm. what is it in reference to Mm -hmm. every number every name or Mm -hmm. these little things come at you and uh, right right but if you don't have a uh, Cambridge education or have not read as much as uh, Rushdie has is anything going to be like lost on you I don't believe so because the quality of the work itself, the prose and the ideas are still there. Mm-hmm. Um, you said something about The Simpsons earlier to me. Right, what right. What was that? I forgot. You, um, For instance, like when you're watching The Simpsons, yes. there's layers upon layers of yeah. references. Onions. But you can watch, yes, it's, yeah. it's onions. But like as a six year old, you can yeah. watch The Simpsons and still still find it funny. Sure, right? exactly. And then you watch it again as an adult and you're like, oh, that was a Jean de Florette reference. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly okay. what this does. It's okay, so, so okay. So it's for everybody. It's a, it's a versatile onion. You know, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a hard-working onion. So it is for everybody. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd say that. So magical realism is another thing that comes up in the satanic verses. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, and uh, it's kind of important because a lot of the, the controversy and, and things that happen in this book happen inside a character's dream and then a story inside that dream. So mm. these incidences are so far removed from reality that mm-hmm. it's very hard to see them as uh, grounded in particular political or religious criticism Mm -hmm. you know they're removed in that way it reminds me very much of the 1001 nights tale Mm, in which a woman to save her uh, life has to keep telling stories and so she tells a story and inside that story another story and Mm -hmm. another story and such forth right right um gabriel suffering from this schizophrenia he uh he goes to argentina at times he goes to a city in the sand he goes to all these different places Mm -hmm. and Dresses are made of butterflies and uh, people walk across water and all these wonderful things happen that Rushdie puts forward with such a flourish of his pen. It's just the voice that I I, I really love reading about him and he does it so well. Right. Can we get a quick excerpt of of an example where this is happening in the book? Yeah, I'll try to give you a quick one here. Mm -hmm. It's It's a scene where a man is dying. Yes. On the last night of his life, he heard a noise like a giant crushing a forest beneath his feet and smelled a stench like the giant's fart, and he realized that the tree was burning. 
He got out of his chair and staggered dizzily down to the garden to watch the fire, whose flames were consuming histories, memories, genealogies, purifying the earth, and coming towards him to set him free. Because the wind was blowing the fire towards the grounds of the mansion, so soon enough, soon enough it would be his turn. He saw the tree explode into a thousand fragments and the trunk crack like a heart. Then he turned away and reeled towards the place in the garden where Aisha had first caught his eye, and now he felt a slowness come upon him, a great heaviness, and he lay down on the withered dust. Before his eyes closed, he felt something brushing at his lips and saw the little cluster of butterflies struggling to enter his mouth. Then the sea poured over him, and he was in the water beside Aisha, who had stepped miraculously out of his wife's body. Open, she was crying, open wide. Tentacles of light were flowing from her navel, and he chopped at them, chopped using the side of his hand. Open, she screamed, you've come this far, now do the rest. How could he hear her voice? They were underwater, lost in the roaring of the sea, but he could hear her clearly. They could all hear her, that voice like a bell. Open, she said. He closed. I love Rushdie. <laughs> I really love reading him. That wasn't the, the whole excerpt. I, I stopped it a bit short for time. But uh -huh. um, Rushdie is a wonderful voice, a majestic writer. He understands many continents and the human condition. And right. with everything that goes on in free speech and political and theological discussions, I think we should not forget his literary qualities. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much, David, for coming in today. Thank you, Jamie. And thank you for listening. And that's our show for this week. We'll be back again next Sunday at 10. Here's Pixie's Monkey Gone to Heaven.